Welcome to the Carmen Murray Show, where we have conversations about 21st century business and culture. Here in the Murray Den, we'll open a window into a world of things that intrigue and inspire. Share stories of excitement, hope, bravery, courage, and resilience. And now, from the Solid Gold Studios, let's level up, lean in, and get Murray with your host, Carmen Murray, as we let curiosity lead us down new paths. Hey, hey, future fit tribe, welcome to the Carmen Murray Show. We are super, super excited. I've got one of my favorite humans with us today, Mark Tungate. So Mark Tungate is a British author in Paris, and he is a force to be reckoned with. He's also very involved with Epica Awards. I've had the privilege to be on the same stage with him in Europe and um, with a European tour and we've really come a long way and the most fascinating human being and we really want to unpack storytelling today a very important message that we need to get out there and you know to bring meaningful stories out to our consumers and without further ado welcome Marky Hi, hi, Carl. Nice to, nice to see you. It's good to see you. I'm like, I'm looking at you and I'm like, oh my gosh, like I see all your activities. You know, there's something I have to tell the audience that is such a beautiful thing that you and your son do. Ah, uh, yes. Okay, so... I'm a non-fiction author mainly and a journalist. I've been a journalist for more than uh, 30 years. I started in 1987. So all of my books, there are seven of them, basically are talking about different aspects of communication, the media. The last one was about the travel industry. So, I mean, there's a bit of storytelling in them because I call them inspiring or collections of inspiring business stories from around the world. So they're definitely stories, but they're, they're non-fiction. And I, like all writers, I think I always had an, an urge to write fiction. And to cut a long story short, when my son was born eight years ago, I made a deal with myself that I'd write a short story for kids every Christmas. And I self-published it using the, uh, the Kindle uh, indie publisher app. So you can find these things on Amazon. And I have a pen name, <laughs> which is Kurt Magenta, which is actually an anagram of, of Mark Tungate. And so that's how I, I exercise my, my kind of fiction gene, if you like, every year. And it's also kind of building a legacy for my, for my son, because one day when he's like 12 or 13 or 15 or whatever, I'm going to compile all these things and and give him the book and say, look, I wrote these for you. So that's... Um... I think it's so beautiful. It's really such a beautiful way to commemorate um, the memories between you and your son. But I think you also donate, the, you donate when people buy, buy it, you donate the funds. Yes. I can't I, remember. I make, but... I make them quite cheap because they're, you know, they're only short stories. They're, they're you know, like 30 pages long. But you, you have to charge for them under the Amazon system. So I charge as little as I can, like $2 or something. And any money I make, I give to save the children. That's the deal I have. I think it's amazing. Well yeah. done. And do you think he's got the writing gene in him? He's certainly got the storytelling gene. He loves stories. I mean, he's always asking. If he meets you, the first thing he's going to ask you is if you've ever seen a ghost. I mean, he loves uh, <laughs> he loves stories of the oh supernatural. God. And he always says to people, you know, I have two passions in life. Trains, because he's kind of obsessed with trains. And, uh, and, mystery, <laughs> and mysteries. So um, his ultimate uh, goal would be to... Um, discover a ghost train I guess but uh, he loves stories but I think that you know I think kids are a kind of in a way without wanting to insult kid kind but they're kind of like animals they're, they're sort of primitive in a way and what I mean by that is I think 
deep down, we all need stories. We all love stories. We all have that child still within us. And that's why stories resonate with us uh, in such a, a strong way, because it's part of us. It's part of who we, people have told stories around the fire. You know, I mean, this is nothing new I'm saying here, but we all know we, we love stories. Yeah. And also, like, to your point, right? I can't remember where I heard this, but it was so freaking funny. Like, you know, in the caveman days where they used to write the stories, they always used to make the animal much bigger than, <laughs> than, than the human sense. being. <laughs> because we love embellishing our stories as well. Of course. And, and you know, as a journalist, there's always the, the temptation to do that because the journalist, just, you're supposed to just tell the facts, right? Just the facts, man, you know, uh, and of course, you want to you want to exaggerate because you want to tell a good story, you know. So your choice of words, the tonality you put into your writing, all that slightly changes or can slightly change the story. So you have to be aware of that. Um, and when I write my books, I want them to be interesting. You know, I'm, I'm trying to write books about mm. media and communications that you'll want to read on the beach. And somebody said that I'd actually succeeded in that. So that, that was a good compliment, actually. One thing I have to admit about um, all, like, especially, you know, a lot of your story about your wife that you wrote in Medium. I mean, for me, I was reading that and I could really feel the emotion and I was going on the journey with you. Mm. But you know what I mean? It's not like I feel like I'm being preached to or that it's like you really bring a, a, it's a collective feeling that you bring when you tell your stories. Yeah, and I think, you know, I think storytelling is, is about that as well. It's a, definitely about a journey. Because a lot of my books are about investigating an industry that I don't know very well. Like one of the books I wrote was about the fashion industry here in Paris. And when I started mm. that, I, I, mean, I knew certain brands. I knew vaguely who Yves Saint Laurent was. But it was definitely an investigation. And when you read that book, I'm taking you on a journey because you're following me as I investigate this, this industry that I don't, I don't know much about. Wow. And a story is that, really. It's a journey. And I always say um, it's always about facing and overcoming obstacles as well. Um, huh. In a way, if there's no obstacle, there's no story. I think I made this point on our tour like years ago, but try not to think of your problems as um, problems. Try to think of them as stories. What I mean by that is when you're on vacation and you get the super rude cab driver who, who gets you lost or you discover the tarantula in your shoe, those are the things you're going to tell people when you get back. You're not going to say everything was perfect and the beach was powdery white and lovely because... Yeah, fair enough, but, yeah. but boring. What's really interesting is, and then I woke up one morning and there was this tarantula in my shoe. That's a story. <laughs> so true, it's so true. So, you always want to bring in the drama. Yeah, exactly. When, I, you know, when I'm researching people, um, and for the travel book, I researched the life of Thomas Cook, so that's very germane to what's been happening. But when you look at the life of Thomas Cook, before his company was, you know, sold on to other people and before it went horribly wrong. If you look at the life of Thomas Cook, you know, he had struggles, you know, he struggled to start his business. He, he um, had problems with his son, uh, you know, I mean, so all stories have this, if they're interesting stories, have this kind of narrative arc where you're facing and overcoming a series of problems in order to become the person you're, you're meant to be. That's essentially mm. the, the heart of storytelling, if you like, this famous narrative arc that we talked about. By the way, for the audience, um, the article in the Washington Washington Post yeah. um, that Mark wrote will just have it in the bottom of the show notes, so you can actually read about. It. It's very interesting. So, so um, before we move into Epica, the Epica Awards, and you tell us more about that, mm -hmm. I want to just quickly understand your position on the state of journalism, what's currently happening out there, the credibility of of journalists in general. 
what is your take on that? Because, you know, the journalists have been getting a lot of slack lately and the time where we need truth the most. So what is your perspective? Well, I think that I've been talking a, a lot about this with friends of mine, and I think you're going to get to a stage where, I mean, journalism was not killed, but seriously wounded by the digital era where basically newspapers started giving away their information for free. People wanted that information for free. The fact that digital advertising, because it's very easy to measure, is cheaper than print advertising. So revenues within the industry went down. Newspapers and magazines closed. People lost their jobs. Even freelance journalists found mm -hmm. it hard to find work because there's less work out there. There are less, less titles out there. So you've got this situation where journalism has become a sort of endangered species um, in a way. And yet, at the same time, if you look at what's going on in the world, and I'm partly familiar with what's going on in South Africa, but we all know what's going on in the United States and elsewhere. Mm. Journalism has become more and more important. If you consider true journalism to be, let's uncover the truth. Let's tell people the facts of what's really going on, you know, um, because, you know, Trump talks about fake news, but in a way what he's trying to do is discredit what is actually the truth. So deflect. In, yeah. yeah. So in Cannes, one of the films that um, I think it won the, the film craft Grand Prix was this, uh, the truth is worth it campaign by Droga five for the New York times. And that was five very suspenseful and gritty films, which were essentially storytelling about the world's best storytellers. And the New York times, like the Washington post uh, is one of my favorite newspapers. And it was one of my favorite newspapers because it's authentic. In my view, uh, it's trustworthy. Mm. And, you know, though, I think that those kind of newspapers and magazines, you know, Vogue on another scale in a whole other industry will continue to exist, but and they'll be like the jewels. Mm. And there'll be these, these kind of jewels of, of journalism around, but there'll be less and less of them because there's less and less of them. There will be pressure on them to be authentic and to have a very high level of quality and, and ethics as well. Yeah, no, it's, it's so true what you're saying. And so the interesting thing that you're mentioning here is, okay, so you involved with Epica Awards and, and to my understanding, the people that gets to judge the stories are journalists. Yeah, exactly. So the Epica Awards has existed since 1987. So it's quite an old um, yeah. uh, competition. It's a similar uh, awards to Cannes in some respects. It's a bit smaller, but um, you know we vote on advertising, design, PR, and digital, just like Cannes. Mm -hmm. We get about four thousand entries a year. Cannes gets about forty thousand. So wow. you know, so we're we're more niche than uh, Cannes. But having said that, I think that we've been certainly over the past few years been growing in prestige. Um, we, we used to be purely European, but we went international about five years ago. So we get campaigns from all over the world, including South Africa, by the way. So, uh, yes. Um, and I think Joe Public United, I think they've won a few Epica Awards. Yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, I, I know there's really good work coming out of South Africa. So I hope we're <laughs> going to see that some of them this year as well. And anyway, so the unique thing about the Epica Awards, to get to your point, is that mm. the jury are all journalists. So they're all journalists who specialize in writing about marketing, communications, design, and creativity. So for example, in this year's jury, we'll have the editor-in-chief of Campaign Magazine from the UK. We'll have the editor of Adweek from New York. And we'll have um, Strategy from here in, in France, in Paris, where I'm based. So basically the leading editors 
from all the uh, marketing, communication and design trade magazines around the world will come together and judge the entries. Now, people who work in advertising or design agencies will, may say, what gives a bunch of journalists a right to judge our work? These people have never worked in, in advertising agencies. Actually, some of them have, by the way. Some of them have been writing about this craft longer yeah. than the people who've made the work have been working in the, the industry. So they're, they're kind of, there's a slightly nerdy aspect about them. They're very, they're very passionate about advertising and, and design. And also, um, what's interesting about them is they're storytellers. You know, a new, a new story is that. It's referred to as a story. You talk about the front page story. So these people are natural storytellers. And they're also judging a lot of the time stories created by advertising agencies. They're judging content. So I think they're in a really good position to, to judge. They understand, you know, craft. They understand what it means to write and create something. Um, some of them are also artists and mm. fiction writers on the side as well. And plus you have the fact that they're, they're objective as well. And unbiased, oh, that's true. They, they can't <laughs> even vote for their own country. So, you know, an agency in New York could pay Stephanie from Adweek as much as they like <laughs> to have her vote for their work, but, they, but she can't. I mean, the system's blocked, in fact. You can't even, if you press the button and try and vote for your country, you can't get through. So, and you know, obviously, because they're journalists, they're not going to vote for you because they're in the same network as you or they once worked to your agency. They're not going to not vote for you because they're, they're in a rival network. Or, so there's all that kind of agency politics that happens at, at some other festival. Oh, I can imagine. It is eradicated. But also, you know, something that you're touching on that is so, so important. So I've quite evolved from the last time that you've seen me. I used to be like very aggressively mobile driven. I'm now in the world of customer experiences. I'm obsessed with it. And one thing I always say to my clients is the moment that you join a company, you are no longer the voice of the customer because you are being politically correct and you drink your own Kool-Aid, you have KPIs to meet, and once you've lost your voice, you can no longer be the voice. And 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 from my perspective, I feel that there is such a big need for independence so that you don't drink your own Kool-Aid because your reality is your perspective. And you need sometimes mm. other people that are consuming your stories to break them down constructively because they understand the hero's journey and how things needs to go etc etc right yeah absolutely I, I think there's that i think that it's interesting that our jury are consumers so they're you know, members of the public but they're also highly aware and educated and expert members of the public so it's almost like having the ultimate focus group which is the people who are both outside um, your community but inside as well who understand how it works they understand what a good piece of advertising or design is because they've written about it, they've unpacked it, they've dismantled it, they've you know, analyzed it. So they're at the same time ordinary consumers, but they're consumers with an expert opinion. And I think that's what makes their opinion valuable among my opinion. So let's talk, let's unpack storytelling. I mean, I am fascinated by storytelling. So I want to give you um, a little bit of context. So one of my newfound friends, Kimberly Stark, she used to play in like over 20 movies, and she's in acting and whatever and she always tells me like okay so let, let's take it a step back because you're gonna have a good old laugh get ready mark you're going to laugh so what happens <laughs> is she sends me for a rehearsal for an advertising ad all right right 
And mm-hmm. I have never done one or audition, or audition for for a advertising. So you're gonna star in there? Uh, no, listen, I was <laughs> like, I'm not doing this. This is shit. I can't do this because I mean, like, yeah. I'm going to look like I'm a liar. So, so this mm. this copy is the worst copy I've ever seen my 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 entire life. So, I go for the audition, and in the audition, they say that my hair looks the way that it looks because I use their product, and I've never heard of their product. <laughs> so, fantastic. With a green screen behind me, and I'm like. What the hell is happening here? So anyway, so I go for the audition and, um, and something in my, in my gut just goes like, seriously, this is where truth really starts. It starts from the moment of mm. advertising and the story that you're telling. And I believe that the people that are acting out your, uh, stories and stuff needs to relate to your brand somehow. And authenticity is the currency of the 21st century. That's where trust is built. And, um, that really scared the crap out of me because that is exactly what businesses are doing. So the, the problem lies from my perspective between meaningful and meaningless stories because how can I relate to a story that is not telling me the truth you know mm. it's it's becoming like a, a very cliched thing is like we cliche flexing like we use all these words storytelling or but they don't really mean what it is to tell a compelling story so what is a compelling story in your view well, I think the the problem is that that form of advertising where you would go on TV and basically sell a product has become very passe. I'm not sure people are watching that kind of advertising anymore. Certainly people of a, of a certain generation aren't watching that kind of advertising anymore. Um, my son rarely watches broadcast TV and is extremely rarely exposed to traditional 30-second spots. You know, he, he gets exposed to pre-roll, pre-roll, pre-roll things uh, <laughs> before YouTube. Yeah, That's yeah, fascinating. Yeah, the first things he learned to do at the age of three like he, he could already skip the ad. So I was like, don't do this. This is my, this is how I make it. Um, and, uh, but, but, it would, but it would also be interesting how some things would arrest his attention, you know. So um, there's this character um, called uh, Super Cheese, for example. And it's, it's, a, it's a superhero cheese that's advertised. Of course, we're in France, so it's going to advertise cheese. But it's, it's a story, you know, it's a cartoon. And they aren't really trying to sell you the cheese. They're just, just having fun with the idea. And I think that's my point is I think what you need to do today is almost create content that is not advertising. The story comes first and the brand comes second. I like that. You know, think about your story. Think about your story first. I don't think you can now go on TV and say, we've got two shirts. Look at this one. This one was washed in (laughs) detergent X and this one was... It doesn't work. You know, we've been there and we're not interested in that anymore. It's just pollution. Thank Um, you. So, I mean, I I know that advertising, that kind of advertising still exists and will probably continue to exist in some place where nobody ever goes. Um, but, um, but no, you need to bring people to you. And the way to bring people to you is to tell them stories that they're going to be interested in or, to your point, give them an experience. Yeah. Because one of the, the campaigns that did very well in uh, Cannes this year, I think it was from FCB, it was called um, Whopper Detour. Yeah, I'm not familiar with it. And uh, it, was this, it was a kind of mobile experience whereby when you accessed the app the app was a burger king app the only way the only place you could access the app was outside a mcdonald's 
And then if you access the Burger King app outside of McDonald's, it would direct you to the nearest McDonald's and you get a free Whopper or, or a, a cheap Whopper or something like I that. I love that. And people love this thing, apparently. I mean, I've been, according to the case study video, <laughs> how much you trust the case study videos is kind of up to you. But according to the case study video, uh, people love this thing. And so it's not really, it's not a story as such. It's an experience, but it's also an experience that people will talk about. So that's another aspect of storytelling and why it's important in, in advertising is, you know, as an agency, you could be asking yourself, are people going to talk about this? You know, is this, is this compelling enough that when they get home tonight, they're going to talk about my experience that I've set up for them? Are journalists going to write about it? Is it going to, is it going to make headlines? You know, I think that's, that's not a bad benchmark to have when you're trying to create a compelling piece of work. Is this going to enter the culture in some mm. way? Are people going to talk about it in the evening? And is the media going to cover yeah. it? And if they are, you've probably got something interesting on your hands. Um, they're certainly not going to write about your you know, boring commercial where you have the white shirt and the gray shirt, etc. Et I love that you mentioning that. And as I'm just like listening to you, I'm just thinking of Steve Jobs, you know, the ad that went for five years. And, you know, it's still one of the most viewed ads because that yes to the crazy ones, the misfits, the rebels. Yeah, I absolutely. mean, like. They formed a tribe, a community, and somehow people, I mean, you know, I've got an Apple. It's not really one of the best integrated computers um, to integrate when you speak at conferences and stuff. It really can fly things over. But, you know, you buy into what it stands for. What's the value of this particular brand? And I think this is also so important is that I want to tell you actually a, a very interesting perspective story of um, what recently happened to me. So, so the lady, um, she's like family to us, uh, Cynthia. Um, she, she works for us at our home and she's the housekeeper and so forth. So we really try and take care of them as much as we possibly can. And we were moving house. And I said to Cynthia, why don't you come and stay at her house, stay in the spare room for a couple of days, and then you and I can bond. We can watch a movie together and stuff. And she says, I've never seen a movie. And she's from Zimbabwe. And I, I was like, what do you mean you've never seen a movie? I said, don't you watch TV? She says, yeah, but I've never seen like a movie like, you know, the way you've seen it. Yes, we have soapies and that stuff. So I then said to my husband, listen, I'm going to take her. Her birthday is coming up in the next couple of weeks. I'm going to take her and I'm going to take her to go and watch Lion King um, with 360 glasses. So I take her and listen, it is like watching a child seeing a movie for the first time and the journey and and how she was just like reflecting and and immersing herself in the story. And we've got a um, restaurant out here called Spur. So when it's your birthday, you tell them it's your birthday, they come and sing for you and it's like all the waiters and they come and sing for her and create the whole experience and, and so forth. And her food arrives and she looks at the knife and fork and she doesn't know what to do with it. And she's never eaten with a knife and fork. And in that moment, I was sitting next to her. Um, yes, of course. I don't mind her eating with her hands or whatever, but she really didn't understand. And she was dressed like she was going to church. Like it was a moment for her and she's never mm. been in a restaurant. So I went to go and sit next to her to try and teach her how to navigate, how to eat with the knife and fork, something mm. that we take so for granted. And 
that made me realize how we have such a huge responsibility to stop making assumptions about people, their lifestyle, what they do, what they don't do, and really understand who your customer is at the end of the day and how you can build a better connection with them. Because in that moment, so now we have lunch Friday. So lunch Friday is like we sit and we eat together with a knife and fork because she really wants to learn how to eat with a knife and fork. And I think it's very important when you tell stories that you don't come from that place where it's a boardroom decision, but it's more from the bottom up. I think that's where valuable stories really can, I don't know, for me, it was a big aha moment. Yeah, I think uh, it's true that we tend to approach things from our cultural perspective by, you know, because of the way our education, our upbringing, we, and we tend to take it for granted that that we think that way, therefore everybody should think that way. So that, you know, I I guess that's a whole other subject, which is the importance of going out and just talking to people and and hearing their stories. You know, I, I started out working on local newspapers in the West of England. And the great thing about working on a local paper is you're literally part of the local community. You know, you know not only the mayor and the chief of police, but you also know all the restaurant owners. Um, you know, the people know you. Sometimes when big news events would happen and there would be the BBC or the big London newspapers, people would not want to talk to those people because they didn't trust them. But they knew mm-hmm. me and they knew my first name. If there was some, an accident or something, big fire or something, I would get all the witness kind of statements and all the good quotes before the national guys because they knew me. I mean, they, they'd see me around, you know, with my little mm. notepad, you know. So I, I think that, you know, that's important as well is, is kind of getting embroiled in, in real life. One of the problems I have with agencies sometimes is that they occupy these huge buildings, sometimes in far-flung suburbs where have a canteen and you know when you talk to them into advertising people they'll say we really understand the consumer you know we really we really get involved with with the consumer but they don't actually because they're not even they don't even see the consumer they're in their big glass building somewhere and uh, and they're in their their world okay they have focus groups and etc cetera, etc cetera, and there's research it's not the same as just being out there you know? some of my favorite agencies um here in paris are the ones who are actually located in within communities and are out every day walking about, chatting to people who know what how people think. So going back to my local newspaper experience, one of the things my editor used to say was, everybody has a story. Everybody. Mm. You know, you should never despise anybody. You should never look down at anybody. Anybody from every walk of life, if you just scratch the surface, they've all got a story to tell. So, you know, just listen to people and, and talk to them and you'll, you'll hear their I love story. that. It's like the humans of New York and the, the the humans of Amsterdam. Have you seen that? I haven't seen that, no. Oh, my goodness. You have to. It's like, like millions. I think there's like 20, 30 million people across the globe following it. Humans of New York and humans. Ah, uh, yes. I, yes. I, you know what? I saw this. Yes. I, I saw that amazing. this was happening and I haven't, I haven't tried it yet, but I, I will go and look at that. It's amazing movement um, and getting people off from the streets and just like asking them three random questions about them and getting their stories and getting to know the people of New York or Amsterdam, etc. I find it um, quite refreshing and sometimes very sad, but I think it gives you a very good feel of people's real stories. And I think that's the most important thing is in order to build a connection, we as human beings we love telling stories and that's how we communicate with each other and i think it's such yeah. an important skill to have we love telling stories and we love hearing stories as well i mean yeah. we're kind of natural gossips in a way so we like a bit of you know ooh, 
What's he been up to? You know? um, and I think, you know, yeah. yeah, and I think to your earlier example, you know, with the hair thing, be much more rather than getting someone to say, you know, I use this product when clearly they don't and they're acting, much more fun to actually round up a few people out there who do have, you know, who do use these, this product or may have hair issues, you know, kind yeah, of funny exactly. hair. I don't know. I mean, it's not rocket science. I mean, these people are out there, you know, you just need to listen to them rather than trying to fabricate authenticity which is totally I know I also think sometimes it's overthought sometimes mm. you see stories and you're like where am I in the story what is going on we had I'm not going to mention the ad um, but we had a, a ad that was telling a story about how we all are African mm-hmm. and they really over tried to sell that message but there was so much color and there was so much fabric and so much language because we have a lot of languages. I mean, yeah, we've got course, 11 yeah. official languages and so many languages and stuff going on and people dancing in the factories and stuff. And you actually didn't know what they were selling you. Mm. <laughs> and it's, yeah. it's, it's like, what is this actually? What is happening here? Yeah, maybe it was, it was too, yeah, too diffuse, not enough storytelling and just kind of too much imagery. That, that does sometimes work. I mean, there's um, an interesting campaign at the moment. I don't know if you've seen this. It's, um, it's directed by Ridley Scott, who, of course, directed, you're talking about Apple, and he directed the famous 1984 ad for Apple, which um, started this whole movement you were talking about, presenting Apple as a tool for creative people rather than just a computer. So Ridley Scott returned to advertising recently um, for Hennessy, the cognac. And uh, it's a series of films, seven films called Seven Worlds. And it's not really a narrative, but it's a sort of collage of sensations which evoke the taste of cognac. But it works because it's not storytelling as such, but it is an experience. It is something you want to talk about. It is something, it's one of those films where you'll go home and you'll say to your husband or your wife or your child or your companion, have you seen this thing that Ridley Scott's directed? It's amazing. And it is amazing. I mean, it's really good looking, good looking piece of, uh, I mean, it's, you know, it killed it in craft in Cannes and it'll do well in Epica as well, I think. So, you know, it's delivering something. So I think you can create a sensation that's not necessarily narrative, but at the same time, it needs to be coherent. Maybe they yeah. just didn't have Rid- Ridley Scott, you know, maybe that was the problem. Yeah. Once you have Ridley on, on, on hand, you know, you're going to get a, a good result, basically. But I mean, like I always remember when we used to speak at conferences and stuff like that, um, when you present some of these case studies, I always remember John Lewis, you introduced yeah. me to the, all the John Lewis ads. And um, I mean, if yeah, you look at that, it's very touching, it's emotive, and it's not in your face and all the little things are there, but it's almost subconscious. And I don't know, it's just there's, there's yeah, a different and, and, feel. And did you notice they don't talk about John Lewis. The ads have got nothing to do with John Lewis. They don't take exactly. place in a John Lewis store. There are no John Lewis products. Um, what they're evoking is the feeling or the, the kind of values of John Lewis, but they don't directly mention the product, show the products, or they're saying, but this is what we're about. But they say it in, yeah. a, very, in a very subtle way. And what they do is they repay the audience by entertaining them. And, you know, at Christmas time, that's what they want. And actually, um, Christmas is kind of the Super Bowl of advertising in, uh, yes. in the UK. And increasingly around the world, actually, the Spanish uh, lotto ads which come out at Christmas are always fantastic. Uh, so Christmas is really a sort of showcase for this kind of... So I think Christmas is a storytelling season, uh, isn't it? I mean, ghost of stories course. around the fire, I mean, the whole Christmas mythology. 
It just makes so, you, you know, feel warm and fuzzy, you know? Exactly. So, you know, and a lot of that is, you know, the Brits love all that kind of stuff. So they do a lot of very creative, <laughs> very story-driven advertising uh, around that time. But, you know, um, there are other ways of doing it as well. The other um, campaign I enjoyed, which also did quite well at Cannes, was I think it's from Momentum Worldwide, and it was for Nike, and it was called the Just Do It HQ. And the Just Do It HQ was actually a church, an abandoned church in this neighborhood of Chicago, which looked very tough to me. It's called the West Loop. And so they turned this church into a basketball court and a sort of youth club for the area's youth. You know, again, it's almost like a local newspaper story is like, you know, Nike came and, and did this and they created this nice experience for the local kids. So again, you know, it's not storytelling, it's almost story doing or story building. So that, you know, it's kind of, you know, you don't have to tell the story. You can also be the story, if you so. I that, love that's that. What, that's what Nike did with, with that. So there are, there are different ways of approaching this whole idea of, of creating stories. You see, this is what I love about it. It's like, it's like there's no rule book. And I think if you come from a real place, I just wanted to jump back to John Lewis, um, yeah, something sure. just as a bit of insight. So how we discovered, because we don't have a John Lewis here, but um, you'll sometimes discover the ads through Facebook just going viral. So anyway, they had, uh, what is it called? Buster the Boxer. Yeah, we, 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 they jump, all the animals jump on the trampoline. Oh my God, that was just such an amazing, amazing campaign. Anyway, so the video started going, this is how we discovered it, was the video started going viral of the dogs that see, watches the dogs jumping, all uh, the animals right, jumping, jumping and all of the dogs jumping. And my dogs, we then put on the smart TV, we put it on and our dog started like jumping. And I was like, what a freaking clever ad because <laughs> it, it's almost like the story is extending itself because we as South Africans, I, I know in the UK, I think animal clothing, like pet clothing for dogs and, yeah, and so yeah. forth is worth like $30 million a year or 50 you are $50 million a year. It's something they take very seriously, you know, dressing up your pets. Um, so we also very attached and it's an extension of our family. So uh, for me to see my kids, my animals, um, enjoying and watching an ad, recording them up to YouTube and everybody started doing that right, and sharing, yeah. sharing an extension of their story of how the dogs are watching. It's just the most clever thing I've ever seen. That's fascinating, isn't it? I think if you can plug into culture like that, that's really, really important because people will really remember that and they'll have a kind of warm and fuzzy feeling about the brand as well. I mean, or maybe, I don't know, once you get to that degree of of sharing, maybe they don't even, you know, necessarily directly associate it with with the brand. But, you know, at least you know you've got a piece of work that's effective because it's creating cultural moments in a way. Mm. That's, that's really rare for I a love that. to do that. Well, our time has run out, but um, before I let you off the hook, we do mm-hmm. have a little tradition that we do here. So okay. I'm sure you've listened to a few of the podcasts, but we play a little game. So in tradition, we play this game and I'm going to let Barry Hilton introduce it to you, but here's one rule. You have to answer the opposite. So I need the opposite of what he is asking you. All right. Hello, my cousins. It's Barry Hilton here, and welcome to the Carmen Murray Show. Have I got something lacquer to show you? I've got a game that I've invented called Smart Ask. 
Yes, can you be a smart ask? I'm sure you can. Most of us are smart askers. But this game, it's quite simple. It's split up into six categories. There's nine cards on each category. Every card has six questions. The dealer chooses the question. And all you have to do is answer three questions correctly to win the game. Is that easy? Uh, Well, all of the answers are in multiples of three. So let's get ready to play the game. On your marks, get it. Go. Women's perfumes. Um, <laughs> Armani something, Armani black, um, Scotch whiskey. Uh, men's colognes, men's colognes. Huh? Men's colognes. Men's cologne, yeah. Um, uh, Eau Sauvage. Oh, no, that is a on All France on the N1 in Johannesburg. What? <laughs> I didn't what? get that wrong. <laughs> uh, no, what's his answer? Number 27, number 58. Uh, okay, okay, streets, to... uh, streets in Johannesburg Central. Uh, the Champs-Élysées. Uh, <laughs> Hartfield Road, Surrey. Uh, okay, Oxford okay. Street. Okay, um, John Chrism Novels. Um, the Peril at End House. Murder on the Orient Express. Goldfinger. Ah, you did it. Well done. Oh my gosh, you're quick on your feet. Listen, it takes me forever to do it. It's it's funny because it's kind of counterintuitive because you sometimes, if you know the right answer, you want to answer the right answer, right? I know because, like, Andrew Lloyd Webber musicals, can you imagine? Like, like you you know what the right answers are, now you're forced to do the opposite. So, anyway. (laughs) Okay, fantastic. Actually, uh, Andrew Lloyd Webber musicals, there was a, there was a, um, uh, a sequel to the Phantom of the Opera called um, Love Never Dies and the critics yeah. hated it so much that they called it Paint Never Dries. <laughs> <laughs> it was so boring. Oh my God. That would be yeah. like a terrible ad. Can you imagine? Yeah. Paint oh, no. Never Dries. <laughs> Paint <laughs> background. <laughs> so you can't well, anyway. can get story from. We're looking forward to seeing what you're going to, um, to – so please share with us the results um, of the Epic Awards. When is the cutoff time? Um, what what you time need of to the get year? Your entries in the, this is me doing ad. You need to get your entries in by the end of November at the – sorry, the end of October at the latest. And the ceremony is on the 21st of November in Amsterdam. So and <gasps> all the winners get invited. So if a South African agency wins a, a gold, they will be – up on stage with me. I'll be there in my tux handing them their pyramid. <gasps> you know what? Like, can I not be the MC? <laughs> well, I'm the MC. I yeah, promise that's, that's you actually, it will be very fun. You can fun. give me a night off. Yeah, yeah. We could do it huh? together, actually. Yeah, it will be. I promise you. That, that I will awesome. get that crowd going. <laughs> yeah, that would be fun. <laughs> oh, my God. Anyway, my friend, it was just so good to see you. It's been a long time, but um, I just want to say you've been doing amazing work out there. And, and also, your wife has just um, written a book, and I really want to actually read it. Can you just quickly tell us a little bit more about that so we can also just put a link below um, where they can find it? Yes, well, I mean, it started with something uh, very negative, which is my wife uh, suffered from breast cancer um, uh, a year ago, uh, over a year ago. But she's fully recovered. She had an operation. Everything is fine. And But while she was going through the surgery and chemo, she kept a journal. And she one of the things she said was that she wanted to, since she had to go through this quite, well, extremely traumatic experience, that she wanted to get something positive out of it. So I have to go through this. So I'm going to try and get as many positive things out of it as I can and she discovered yoga she discovered 
a lot, a lot about herself, uh, how strong she could be as a person. And she documents this through the journal. And to cut a long story short, they turned the journal into a book, which has just hmm. come out. Um, and uh, it's, it's published in, in French uh, right now, but we hope it will be translated into, uh, into English. The, the rough translation of the title is something like, I hope it's not serious, which is what people tell you. You know, you say, oh, oh I've been ill. And they, and people say to you, I hope it's not serious. And, and my wife would turn around and say, but actually, it's cancer. But in the end, sure. you know, she, she recovered. And uh, she, you know, one of the important points in the book is that the breast cancer does not have to be by any means fatal. But, you know, most women come out the other end of it now. And she came out of it, what she thinks, with something positive, which was a, a, a more optimistic mindset and um, a sort of an understanding of how strong she could be as a person. So maybe um, you can share the link with me and then we can also just put it in the show notes. I know that we have a few African countries that's French speaking. So, Oh, yeah, that's true. Very good. Yes. We might be able to reach out to a few. Mauritius is one of them. So so maybe just um, give me the link to the book and then we can share it. And then I also help spread the word via my social media channels. And I know a few people. My husband used to work for Jean's France Press. And maybe there's like some people there. You know, we don't know. Yeah, yeah, Let's absolutely. see. Yeah, Let's see. Good idea. And hopefully we can get her some interviews and stuff. A very courageous woman. And um, I see when I see the pictures, her strength and her will and her love for life um yeah so. absolutely yeah no it's, it's it was a strange and in some ways horrible experience but that turned into this story with a happy ending happy endings That's well anyway we like. yeah this is all <laughs> we like and good luck with epica and we can't and i can't wait one day to join you on stage and come absolutely and play, it's play around with you there okay. anyway have a good one hey it was so lovely touching base Anyway, it was great catching up with you. Yeah, you too. Thanks for that. That Thanks for the opportunity. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to The Carmen Murray Show, another solid gold podcast. Please take a moment to rate and share this episode with friends and colleagues who love customer experience and marketing just as much as you do. To connect with Carmen, visit CarmenMurray.com where you will find links to her business services, future fit events, and biz community articles. Carmen Murray is CEO of Uya Modern Marketing Services that empower businesses to deliver premium customer experiences, B2B, B2C, and B2B2C across all industries. Some of these services include research, CX strategy, persona development and customer journey mapping, CX audits, UX audits, and the connected marketer training in connected customer experiences, mobile, data management, and AI. You've been listening to another episode from the Solid Gold Podcast Studios.